Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. I want to speak about the character of who God is tonight. And I want to uh, do that from Luke chapter 15. For just a few moments tonight, I want to remind you about who God is. We believe that God is a good God tonight. How many of you experienced His goodness? Experienced His blessing? What a blessing it is to be in God's house tonight. I read an interesting story about a lady named Thelma Anon. And uh, Thelma, who lived in Norway... She was extremely delighted when uh, her 15-year-old son, Robert, came, uh, came into the house and carrying a nine-pound fish that he had just caught in the fjord down the road. And uh, they were going to go ahead and have this cod for dinner that night. And as she began to prepare, she was cleaning this fish. And if you've ever cleaned a fish before, you know that's not a a pretty thing to do. Uh, But she's cleaning this fish, and she's uh, cutting through the insides, and the guts are all coming out. And all of a sudden, she sees something shiny fall onto her cutting board. And as she began to investigate, it's not just anything shiny. It's a diamond ring. A diamond ring uh, fell out of the stomach of this fish. Wow, what a fantastic prize. Man, that's, that's a pretty nice fish you caught there, bud. But there's a story here. The ring, as she began to look at it, is not just any diamond ring, but it's a family heirloom that belonged to this family that she had dropped into the fjord three years earlier. So three years later, after she lost this such a valuable heirloom, and here it comes home inside the belly of a fish. What a powerful story tonight. You know what it illustrates for me? God's ability to locate anyone any place, anytime he wants to. How many know God's got supernatural GPS? And even when you are completely lost and you don't know where you are, God knows where you are. And this is what it says in Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 15 one of the uh, highlight parables that Jesus told throughout the Gospels. And, uh, and I want you to pay close attention tonight to, 
as we read this incredible story. Here it is, Luke 15, verse 11, reading from the New Living Translation tonight. It says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved into a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out. There was a great famine that swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs began to look good to him. But when no one gave him anything, he finally came to his senses. And he says to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, everybody say long way off. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, and now he is found, and so the party began. There's a sermon I've titled, Wherever You Are Tonight. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we thank you for the power of your gospel. We thank you for the truth that you want to deliver to us tonight. I pray every ear would hear this word, that every heart would receive your mercy tonight. And we pray tonight. That no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on, no matter where we are in this place, that you are a God who is able to locate us, you are a God able to convict us, and you are a God able to draw us back, back to you tonight. We thank you, God. I pray that there would be, even in this place tonight, that there would be a return, a return from sin and a return back into your house. We thank you for all you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say. Let's begin by looking at life outside the father's house. The story begins with the younger son coming to his father and making a demand of him. It's a good thing there's nobody here who ever makes demands on God. But here's a younger son who does exactly that. And he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. The other translations tell us, give me the inheritance that I rightly deserve. Now, 
you might read just past that and think, well, what a spoiled brat. He's just trying to get some money out of dad. But it's more than that. This is such an offensive thing because what he's asking for is he's asking for the inheritance that he is going to receive at his father's death. He's asking his father, even while he is still living, before he has died, he's saying, Father, to me, your money means more than you do to me. It's almost like he's saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I'd rather have the cash. Now, if that was you, you've been saving up money for an inheritance for your kid, and he comes and makes a demand on you. It's not, uh, you know, I'm starting a business and I, I'd like to, you know, to get a, a, some seed money, Dad. No, not that. It's you're going to give me what you owe me, my inheritance. That's pretty jacked up, isn't it? He's ready to receive the blessing of the fathers. Listen, that inheritance is the result of his dad's hard work, isn't it? His dad who's been laboring. His dad who's been working. Who's been saving and storing and sacrificing his own lifestyle so that he could save up for his sons after he dies. A father who is doing what he's supposed to thinking about the future of his children. But this son, it says of him that he's only interested in finding that cash that can give him a very temporary high. Listen, I think there's a lot of people in this world, and especially in a post-Christian nation that we live in, that want the blessings from God but don't really want God himself. They want to go to church and have a nice sermon and have a good program to follow, but really don't want to follow the commandments. Do you know what I'm saying? Lord, I want your blessings, but I don't want the burdens. I don't want the responsibility of having to maintain a relationship with you, God. How many are in the church today only for what they can get out of it? How many come to the church for reasons other than why you should really be here? You come here just because, ah, God, I can get something out of that. The first words of this son was, Father, give me. You know, there's a lot of prayers that sound like that. Father, give me what rightly belongs. It's not, Lord, I want to be your servant And I I just, you know, if it pleases you. No, the first words are, Father, give me. And what a radically horrible way to approach a father. Can I tell you something tonight? Life without the father begins with selfishness. Let me say that again so you'll remember it. Life without the father begins with selfishness. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. We see this scripture coming true in our world today. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. You know what perilous means, right? It means dangerous times. Dangerous times will come. How do we know when dangerous times are upon us? These things will happen. Men will be lovers of themselves. You tell me another time in human history where we've loved ourselves more than right now. Lovers of money, 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. This is the start of separation from God. I want to tell you something tonight. If there's a spirit of selfishness in you seeking out only the blessing without the burden, it won't be long until you leave the Father's house as well. See, the real cry of this son's heart is, Dad, I don't want you, I just want your money. How horrible and insulting. By taking this portion of goods, by receiving this inheritance, he's saying to the Father, I don't need you, I don't want you, I don't love you, I don't even like you, I just want your money so I can get on without you. How many of us, maybe without really knowing it or without really trying to do it, but this is the cry of our heart. God, you know, it's really hard to serve you, so why don't you just bless me? And what's amazing to me about this story is that the Father gave him what he asked for. Now, if that was me, if I was that dad, I'd say, get out of here, you idiot. Go get yourself a job. But that's not what the father said. You know, there's an old saying that goes, you better be careful what you ask for. Because you just might get it. I remember when Donald Trump announced his candidacy in 2016. Oh, the Democrats were so happy. They said, oh, yeah, please, Republicans, please vote for Trump. You remember that? They wanted him. Oh, they thought he could get beat so easy. Well, be careful what you ask for. The father gave him exactly what he asked for. Can I tell you something? That God is not afraid to let you wander in your selfishness. Isn't that scary? Isn't that frightening? That God is not a helicopter parent. That God is not going to overprotect If we want to run from Him, He's not going to twist our arms. This decision, the Bible says, took this son away from the father's house. Look at verse 13. Not many days after, the son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. So let me uh, remind you, first of all, has the father moved? Has his position changed at all? The father and his house remain where they've always been, right? But in this story, it's very very helpful, very illustrative, illustrative, that it is the son who's moving away from the father. Now, let me remind you tonight that this is what sin always does. Sin always causes separation from God, doesn't it? When we disobey and rebel against the Lord... And we think in our minds the devil is easy to condemn us and he says, oh, God has run away from you. God is so far away that he'll never find you, so you better just stay in your sin. But that's not what happened, is it? The father was exactly where he had always been. It is the son who has moved away from the father. He's the one who rebelled and revolted. He is the one who chose the country that was so much different from his home. He's the one who begins to waste 
his possessions with prodigal or wild living. He's the one who begins to uh, be involved in drunkenness and partying and immorality and in selfishness and in greed. And you know, when the money's flowing, oh, it's a great time. When the Bible says prodigal living, and the name of this story is the prodigal son, that word prodigal, it literally means living in the flesh or living without the restraints or morality or God. That's what this world so desperately wants. You know, in my biology class, I teach a biology class to 7th and 8th graders on Wednesday mornings. And we just got done finishing uh, a chapter about uh, Charles Darwin and his, uh, his book on the origin of species. And, you know, today it's very hard to uphold the teachings of Charlie Darwin. Maybe back in the 1800s, when they had no uh, understanding of molecular biology or the, the incredibly intricate design of, of mo- molecules and cells and the formation of life, maybe back then if we thought we were all just made out of jello, then you know maybe you could come to that conclusion. But you know the reason why today we're still talking about Charlie Darwin is because of what it means. If you believe that human life did not come from God, but that we were evolved slowly over millions and billions of years, if you can believe that, it means you are no longer under restraint. And that's why you can show people the science, you can uh, begin to give them the evidence about why macroevolution and Darwinian evolution is such a farce, they won't listen to you. Because... They'd rather be unrestrained by a creator. Because if God made this place, then he gets to make the rules. And if he gets to make the rules, what happens when we don't follow them? There's a judgment. And there's a lot of people who'd rather believe in a fairy tale than to embrace a God who's going to put restraints. This is what prodigal living is all about. It means living without restraint. Have you ever been to the far country? Titus 3, verse 3 gives us some hope because it says, We ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Yes, the church is not a place for perfect people. Aren't you glad? We all, at one time or another, lived in the far country. And it would be wise for us, it would be helpful and healthy for us to remember from where Jesus saved you. Notice something about this far country. It's far. Far from what? The correct question is far from whom? It's far from the Father. And I want you to notice something. The Father never comes begging and pleading for the son to come home. He doesn't travel away from the home to try to rescue his son out of prodigal living. Isn't that incredible? He never tries to go and scoop him up while he's in the middle of his mess. The father is waiting for something. He's waiting for something to happen. Just the same way the father was waiting for something to happen to you. When you were in the far country. 
He was waiting for the fun to run out. And can I remind you tonight, the fun always runs out. There is pleasure in sin, but for a a season, just for a season. Yes, sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, then nobody would sin. (laughs) There is fun in sin. There is pleasure in sin, but it only lasts for a moment. It says in verse 14 that the fun ran out. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine, and he began to be in want. Oh, the party goes on as long as he's got money in his pocket. Oh, as as long as there's some of that inheritance left, everybody still likes him. There's always... how many understand that, that when, when you got money in the pocket, the friends are always going to be close to you? They're always, oh, yeah, you want another beer? Get another beer. It's on me, man. You'll always have best friends as long as you're sponsoring the party. But when the fun runs out, he begins to spend all and it leads to famine. Listen to what he has spent. He has spent his purpose He has spent his opportunity. He has spent all his talents, his inheritance. He has spent the money that his father had worked so hard to save up for him. He had spent his mind, his thoughts, his soul, and yes, even his body he had spent on sin. He spent it all, and what did he have to show for it? Nothing except a crappy job serving slop to the pigs. He's working at 7-Eleven. <laughs> not only that tonight, not only has he spent all, but something's amazing. Another thing happens at the same time. It coincides with the money running out. Did you see what it said in the Bible? It says, just as he is spending all, there also arose a famine in the land. So not only has he run out of money, he's looking around the neighborhood and the the Walmart shelves are empty. There is a famine in the land. Can I tell you this is not an accident? That God allows for spiritual famine to occur when the fun begins to run out. Spiritual hunger will follow those who spend their inheritance on sin. Psalm 68, verse 6, says that the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Rebellion. You think rebellion will set you free, but what it really does is it puts you in chains. You think that by running from God, you're going to experience life to the fullest, but when you run from God, you are running into a prison cell of hunger and desperation. You think that by disobeying God's precepts and commandments, you think that by ignoring what God has said to you and how He said to live your life, you think that it's going to be wonderful and fun and exciting and exhilarating and what it really leads to is STDs and shame and sickness and illness and jail time and broken families and homes and divorce. All of the parties, all of the drugs, all of the sex, all of the temporary 
joy. And when the fog of sin begins to clear away, guess what he has left to show for it? Goose egg. The world will leave a man hungry in a way that nothing else can. Unsatisfied, unfulfilled, empty, angry, frustrated. And these are people who live next door to you every day. Searching for something more. Looking desperately on the television. A thousand channels, nothing's on. Maybe you've come to this service tonight in that condition. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 7, the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. I talked to a man just today, the guy who cut my hair. He's talking to me about a fight he's having with his wife. Somehow people always tell me about problems with their marriage. I don't know why. He's telling me he got into a fight with his wife on Friday. He's telling me he's working all these hours. He's, he's cutting hair. He's also got another business. He works for the shipyard. And he's so busy and he's making lots of money. But he asks me, he says, Pastor, I don't have a why. I don't have a reason. I don't have a purpose. I got lots of money. I can pay my bills. Look at that big old nice truck. But listen, on the inside, he was empty. He was broken. He needed Jesus. That's where this man finds himself. Not only is the inheritance spent, not only is there a famine in the land, but then it says that he became a slave. See, I don't think he ever had this in mind when he went to the father and said, give me my inheritance. He never thought in his mind that one day he'd be able to feed the pigs. No, it says in verse 15, he, joined, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Translation, he made himself an indentured servant. Because that was the only way that he could get a bite to eat. And the only way that, uh, that, that he's able to get a paycheck is to do the one thing that Jewish people would never want to do, and that is to be around pigs. God bless all of our pig farmers in the United States. God bless bacon. But I want to tell you something. Pigs are nasty animals. And now his job as a young Jewish man is to have daily interaction feeding slop to the piggies. It's about as low as a Jewish Jewish kid can get. He has now thrown away all of his inheritance All of his money is gone. He has thrown away his dignity. And now he's thrown away the very culture that he came out of. He's doing something that he has never done before, all because he decided to run away from the Father. Look at the lowest point of his life. The end of the rope moment is in verse 16. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the slop that the swine were eating. He's got his scoop. And he's dishing out the slop to the pigs. And he's looking at it thinking to himself, man, I could eat a scoop of that. That's disgusting, isn't it? But the Bible said even that he's not allowed to do because... He's working for somebody else. That's not his slop to eat. He's like, man, I could eat that. 
but I can't. Nobody gave him anything. For a Jew, it's the worst possible moment. He finds himself wishing that he could eat what the pig had. I've, I've been saying this lately, and I want you to catch it. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin will always make you pay a price you don't want to pay. It's expensive. And as hard as it was for him to ask for the inheritance from his father, I want to tell you, this is the bottom. And it's sad to say tonight, but many, many people will never come to Christ, will never find redemption, will never ask for forgiveness until they reach the bottom of the bottom. You know why? Because we are so stinking stubborn, man. Stubborn. But here's the hope. That in the worst moments, at the end of the rope, when it seems all hope is lost, it all changes with the change of mind. Remember now again where the son is. He's in the pig pen. He's eating with the pigs and living in the filth. And this is what the Bible says. He came to himself. Verse 17. He came to himself. That is such a critical moment. He has a flash of reality. He says, what am I doing? All of a sudden, he can take a step back from his situation and look at himself sitting there with the pigs, wishing he could eat the slop, and he thinks to himself, who am I? And what am I doing? He comes to himself. You ought to pray tonight. You ought to pray that God gives you some reality checks in your life. You ought to pray that if you're in the midst of the filth, that God would open your eyes. He came to himself and he begins to reason. See, how many times does a miracle begin with a thought? God uses our thought. That's why that you have to sometimes turn off the phone, turn off the TV, turn off the gram, turn off the social media, and be able to think about something in your life for a moment. He says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? In other words, you know, I, I remember back at my father's house, he had some indentured servants too. And those guys, at least, they had food to eat. Here I am, dying of hunger. So, verse 18, he says, I will arise. I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. He's got a plan ready to employ. You know, it's amazing what will happen when you get hungry. It's amazing what will happen when your stomach is empty. Things you'll be willing to do. I pray that you don't have to come to the point of physical hunger like this guy did. But every one of us comes to a point of spiritual hunger. We start looking around like my barber did today and say, I've got a whole lot of things, but I don't have a reason for living. There was a spiritual hunger. And he begins to reason to himself, maybe, just maybe, that my father, if I went back there and I, if I begged and I pleaded, 
maybe he can make me like one of those servants. And at least I'd have some bread to eat. He comes out of his fantasy. He comes out of his world of lies. He comes out of his insanity. What about you tonight? Can you come out of your fantasies? Fantasies that sin is going to work out okay? That your rebellion is going to be just fine? How powerful this is that he comes back to reality. How long before you come to yourself? This act of repentance, verse 18 says, I will arise and I will go to my father. This is what repentance is. Don't get get confused by the big word. Repentance simply means to turn back to the father, to change of mind. It's a physical change of direction. I'm going to turn away from the slop that I'm in right now. And I'm going to turn back to the father's house. See, that moment is where everything changed. He might have been still in the pig pen, but when his mind makes a decision, I'm not going to be good in here anymore. I'm going back to my father. Can I tell you, that is the beginning of his redemption. And that will be the beginning of your redemption this evening when you make a decision to repent, to turn from sin, turn away from the slop of your life, turn away and turn back to the Father. He confesses. You know what? I'm going to say to my Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Confession simply means to tell God what He already knows. See, the Father already knew what He wants to say. I've sinned against heaven and before you. Duh! I already knew that. But still, it's important for you to say it. It's important for those words to come out of his mouth. And I want to tell you, this is something that is missing from so many Christians' lives. We want to go to church. We want to watch the show. We don't want to get involved. We certainly don't want to confess anything. Oh, Lord, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm broken. I'm full of rage and anger. Nobody wants to hear that coming out of their own mouth, do they? And yet, that is the beginning of healing. He makes this decision with the pig poop still all over him. And that ought to give you some hope. Right there in the midst of your mess is where healing can begin. Wherever your decisions have brought you tonight, whatever filth is in your moment is in your life at this very moment, you can still cry out to the Father. Ezekiel 18:21. If a wicked man turns from his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. There's hope no matter who you are. No matter what slop you're in, in the middle of. Whether it's murder, prostitution, a reprobate mind, no matter how dark and deep your sins may be, there is hope for every lost soul. As long as there's still breath in your lungs and blood in your veins, I want to tell you there's still hope for you. God's not given up on you. The Father is still waiting for you. So let's look finally at the return back home, verse 20. 
he arose and he came to his father. Now notice something very interesting here. It says that when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on him and kissed him. And then, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now, did you notice it wasn't the other way around? What's so incredible about this story is that in verse, 20, in verse 21, he's confessing. But in verse 20, he's already been accepted. Just by seeing his son, just the vision of him walking on the horizon, the father gets up out of his seat and runs to his son. So long he's been praying for this moment. The father has accepted him even before the son could say a word. You know what that tells me tonight? A true repentance is not about the things that you say. It's about what's in your heart. You know, we, we believe in, in saying a sinner's prayer, but I fear that sometimes using a sinner's prayer can be a false conversion. In other words, we lead somebody in a sinner's prayer and we say, you know, I received Christ as my Savior and, and I believe that I'm on my way to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. And we think that just by professing a certain phrase or a set of words is somehow magically going to get you a golden ticket to heaven. But can I tell you, true repentance is not here at the altar. It's out there. Repentance begins as we have a shift of mind. See, the Father could see. The Son has already changed. The fact that He is walking back home tells us that the Father knows something's changed. Something's different. This is what it says in Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and He saves those with a contrite spirit. If your heart's not broken, if your spirit's not contrite, then you're like the person who goes to the doctor and says, I'm not sick. I'm fine, doc, no problem. Meanwhile, your skin's falling off and your eyeball's hanging out. I'm fine. No problem. The doctor wants to help you, but he can't if your heart's not broken and your spirit's not contrite. Isaiah 55, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon now, just remember as we close, this last thought is the thought of unexpected joy. When the son was still feeding the pigs, the thought that he had in his brain was, if I go and if I confess and if I humble myself before my father, then maybe, just maybe, maybe I could beg and plead. Maybe I could get on his good side. He's got to be angry at me for what I did. But maybe, just maybe, he could hire me as one of his servants. And he could at least just give me just one loaf of bread so that I can have some food to eat. That's the highest expectation that was in his mind, right? That was the maximum possible 
relationship that he thought he could have. He said, you know, I'll be lucky if I could become a servant. But probably he's angry at me. Can I tell you, this is the thought. These are the thoughts of someone who's wanting to go to church. So many people wanting to go to church, but in their mind they're thinking, maybe, just maybe, I could just go into that church service and I could just listen to a sermon. And maybe that'll help me, you know? And, and they have this, this dream that, you know, hopefully nobody knows who I am because I don't want to be embarrassed by all the horrible things that I've done. We think that, you know, if, if I go to church, and man, the lightning bolt's going to strike me. God must be so angry at me for all the wickedness I've done. Maybe I could just have a slice of bread. But that's not what he got, was it? As soon as the father sees him on the horizon, as I said, he doesn't send out his soldiers to arrest him. No, he runs to him with joy, with unanticipated joy. In verse 22, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He's got to be filthy. He's got to be stinky. He's got to be messy. He's been journeying with no food. He's got to be rail thin. He's got to be skin and bones. Nothing left, man. He's been hungry for a long time. And by the way, he probably still has pig poop all over him. Doesn't even wait for him to get a bath first. The father says, quick, bring him the robe. Bring him the robe. Bring him the fine linens and put it on my boy. What a perfect picture of salvation. That we come in here with all of our mess and all of our wicked thoughts and all of our sins and all of our rebellions and Christ, we put on Christ as a garment. The Bible says put on Christ. Salvation is is when God begins to be wrapped around us. His presence wraps around us. The finest robe. It says, get a ring for his finger. In the Bible, a, a ring is a sign of authority. A ring is something that means you have power. You have, you, you have a, a status. You have a position. And he is being restored to, as the son of this father. He's not making him a servant. He's making him a son again. He says, get a ring for his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Then, he says, kill the calf. We're going to have a party tonight. Break out the steaks. Because we are going to have a feast. The son of mine who is dead has now returned to life. He was lost. But now he is found. Here's what I want you to, to remember tonight. When you expect the bare minimum, God oftentimes responds with something beyond our imaginations. I'm thinking about this building situation. I was expecting to be in this building. Yeah, this is a nice building. I was expecting that maybe, you know, maybe... Maybe uh, 10 years down the road, we could save up enough for a down payment somewhere. That's what I was expecting. 
until I get a phone call on Friday. Above and beyond our wildest expectations. Can I tell you, this is what God wants to do with your life? I came into a church when I was 16 years old. I followed a girl here. I thought best thing that could possibly happen is I could go out on a date with this girl because I went to church with her. Uh, that was like my maximum. That would be amazing if that could happen. But I went to that church and I got so much more than I ever anticipated. I got a future. I got a destiny. I got a hope. By the way, I got a marriage and I got two beautiful girls. I, had, I got an opportunity to preach the gospel in Bulgaria for four and a half years. I've been around the world preaching this message of hope to thousands of people. It's, it's beyond anything I could ever imagine. Beyond. Who knew I was ever going to be in a country called Ukraine? I'm going there tomorrow. But 24 hours from now, I'll be in Ukraine. Have you ever been to Ukraine? That's insane. Like, I didn't even know Ukraine was a place. Unexpected possibilities with God. If you simply tonight have a change of mind, say, you know what? I'm involved in a lot of wickedness. I need to turn and return to the Father's house. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening as we bring this service to a close. As God's Spirit deals with us tonight. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up. We're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts, and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening, thank you for subscribing, thank you for sharing these messages, and thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless you.